Hello, welcome to an Emergency Ringer NBA show. My name is Chris Ryan. Today I'm joined by Bill Simmons in an undisclosed location in New York. Then I'll be joined by Kevin O'Connor and Jason Concepcion. All the talk about this nuts day in the NBA where Chris Paul got traded to the Houston Rockets and Phil Jackson got fired in New York. All right, emergency NBA show. This is Chris Ryan, and I'm joined by Bill Simmons. Bill, you're a little under the weather. You're in New York City, but the trade bells are going off. <laughs> Where's Jason Concepcion? Is he, like, celebrating the, he, the Phil Jackson He thing? wrote a borderline libelous column for us that just, like, yeah. t- just took Charlie Rosen out, took Phil out, took the last four years out. He said he was Phil was the worst executive of his lifetime. Wow. Uh, and then he just vanished back into binge mode, just like a ghost. Wow. Interesting. I, I still think Isaiah Thomas was worse. Yeah. There's some other stuff with Isaiah that I think you have to add, you factor in. But, um, okay, so let's start with the Harden trade, because I know that you yeah. said, you, KOC wrote a piece today, we're going to talk to him about it in just a second, where he was like, this could work. You know, like, that, that these guys, there there's ways uh-huh. that D'Antonio could stagger the, stagger the minutes, they could mm. share the ball, it would work. But you didn't sound so sure. Staggering the minutes, I get it. It makes sense. Uh, when your two best players can't be on the court all the time, that worries me. I, I just go back to basic basketball science where these are two of the three most ball-dominant guys in the league. I, I know they have all those time and possession stats. I I get it. But I'm just talking about the eye test, what I've seen. I think what was Harden was first and Chris Paul was seventh. Yeah. But – when we're actually talking about it, it's the playoffs, you know, it's you're down three with ten minutes left, and what, how does your team adjust what happens? Like, those are two guys that just say they grab the ball and they say, I got this. So that part worries me. It worries me that James Harden, we spent all of last year turning him into a point guard and turning him into an elite point guard who we never thought of him this way. But, wow, James Harden's a point guard, and now they've added another point guard. So now James Harden's not a point guard. Look, I think they probably had to do this, the Rockets, because if you're just treading water, if James Harden is the only superstar in a league that has all the guys in the Warriors, I get why they had to do it. If they give Chris Paul a five-year deal down the line, I think that is just basketball suicide. That's a terrible idea. But short term, it just feels like a weird fit to me. I mean, I think... I, it- if you can get James, you know, James Harden obviously had a little bit of trouble closing out the playoffs there. And if there's one guy who's going to be able to get you out of those early playoff rounds, it's Chris Paul. What? <laughs> Did you watch basketball? <laughs> That's the other problem here is that they didn't exactly get the Mariano Rivera of basketball. Yeah, I, I wrote a piece for The Ringer at the end of April about it was called The Last Days of the Point God. And it was basically about this is the end of the line for Chris Chris Paul as a marquee superstar because, you know, point guards don't age that well. Little guys don't age that well. Hey, we have not seen a real example of somebody under 6'2 aging into, uh, into a dominant guy still in their mid-30s. Like, it just hasn't happened. Now, this trade actually makes the most sense for Chris Paul, ironically, if he can figure out how to coexist because he'll have somebody taking on the lion's share of the load and uh, and all that stuff. But, man, from a chemistry standpoint, 
Harden goes either way, right? We've seen him last year. They seem happy. Year before was just one of the all-time chemistry catastrophes we've had. Chris Paul's a difficult guy to play with. It was interesting. I, I've been sick in bed all day just watching one ridiculous ESPN show after another. The takes were flying at me like faster than the than the uh, penicillin. <laughs> but um, it's been it was funny to hear multiple people talk about what a leader Chris Paul was. I have Clippers season tickets. Like he he's like leadership by by anger. He's leadership by intimidation. It's yeah. I, it's I, I wouldn't call. It, I don't think this is like. Uh, I don't know, Dwight Eisenhower. Um, it's, it's it's just a, it's going to be a weird mix. And then you have all right. So let's let's play it out. Who's your five in crunch time right now? Yeah, so you Paul. Paul Harden, Capella, Gordon, Ariza, and Ariza, and Ariza and, and Paul Gordon? are really tight. Yeah, and Gordon. Okay. Um, is that beating the Warriors? No. No, but I think no. what he's doing is he's gambling. Like, Daryl's going for him. We wound up talking to Kevin about this in a few minutes, but just obviously he's not interested in waiting five years for the Warriors to to cycle down in any way. Okay, but here, here's my question then. If you're gambling, why not gamble that you can get Chris Paul anyway? Why not gamble that on July 1st this guy wants to leave the Clippers so badly that you're just going to be able to get him anyway? Why trade assets for him? Because... All the assets they traded are actually assets that they could have used to find the third guy that they're going to need to actually have a legitimate competition with, with the Warriors, right? Yeah, because they it, just gave you have gave to wonder who away. that that person. So if if whoever they wanted to be their third guy, they have to you have to wonder whether or not they think that that person's already going somewhere. Whether it's Paul George and he's going to Cleveland or he's going to Boston or he's going to the Lakers or whatever the situation is. They don't they don't have the assets for Paul George. No. Let's just cross that off. I, I don't know who it is. I, I was looking. It seems like it would be easy to be like, oh, they'll get that guy. And then you start scrolling through the rosters, and it's just really hard to find the guy mm-hmm. unless it's you're taking on somebody else's mistake. The, the other thing, God bless young Kevin. I know he's coming up. Um, <laughs> he mentioned uh, he mentioned how they're, they're going to have to use Ryan Anderson's contract to try to trade for something. I think Ryan Anderson's contract is completely untradeable. I don't know who on the in their right mind would take twenty million a year this year, next year, and the year after that for Ryan Anderson. There's no way. I don't see it. They they couldn't even play him in the in the playoffs. So Phil Jackson um, somewhere is like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Phil Jackson right with the triangle. We would look good, but you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that is is stuff that's been floated out there as media things, and people are now running with them as fact. Like the Knicks want to buy out Carmelo Anthony. Or Carmelo Anthony wants to buy out. Why would, why would the Knicks do that? I I followed this league my whole life. I can't remember anybody getting bought out with two years left on their deal who made that much money. It Makes becomes no a little sense. fantasy football at a certain point where you're just like, let's just put like all these guys. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine that really, really happening. They, it's like forty five million, and they buy him out. They're going to buy him out for what? Like twenty five? Like it's it's crazy. And how is he not worth anything? Where are the teams that? Are trying to talk themselves into Carmelo for, you know, the next year or so at least. I, I I just find it impossible to believe. I think that was one of the reasons Phil Jackson probably got canned is that he was trying to make the case that they should just buy him out and start over. And James Dolan is like, look, I'm the worst owner of this century. I know nothing, but even I know this is stupid. Why would we buy out somebody who's can still score 25 points a game if you give him the ball? Can we talk about uh? 
the Clippers for a second? Yeah, can we talk about Austin Rivers? <laughs> so you think, was he patient X for this whole thing? <laughs> He's certainly getting blamed somewhat for it. And it, in a funny way, it's interesting because I feel like Austin's catching more heat than Doc. Well, yeah, Doc, who every story from the last year or so was just about how poorly run that team was and how he didn't work hard. You know, if that, I, who knows if that Michael Leaves, who covered the team on the sidelines and works for ESPN, tweeted something about that there was a trade that Doc ended up not doing. Yeah, it was the, 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 the mellow Vujicic, yeah. It was, yeah, Carmelo and, and Sasha Vujicic. Vujicic, I, I, ten years, I can't say his name right. <laughs> Maybe the penicillin for, uh, will help with that. <laughs> for Rivers and Crawford, and Doc didn't want to do it. Like, that is, like... Not only fireable, but I, it feels like he should go to like basketball jail for that. How do you not make that trade? I don't know. I, it's unbelievable to me. That that's like fifteen cents on the dollar for Carmelo. Not to mention you get rid of two guys making twelve, thirteen million a year who are like combo guards. And Jamal Crawford was terrible last season. Do do you so, think that this improves or increases or decreases the chances of Blake staying? So oh, I think he's gone. Okay, but um. What I liked about it for the Clippers and why I thought it was so smart is they actually got some assets for, for somebody who was going to leave anyway, who clearly was out the door. And, you know, whether you keep Beverly and Lou Williams or you try to flip them, those are really good assets under really good contracts, you know. And Lou Williams last year fetched a number one pick. Beverly, I think, could easily fetch a number one pick. Remember in February last year there was all these, all these uh, tweets about how how uh, Patrick Beverly was in demand, mm-hmm. teams coming after Patrick Beverly. Like, that guy does have trade value. I think he's a good player. And, uh, you know, I, I just think they're in a, they got a number one pick. Now they have two picks in the next draft. They they don't have enough cap space to really do anything, but if you get rid of J.J. and Blake, you and I have said this for 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 months and months. Like, this just – this was done. This wasn't working anymore. This yeah. was the – proverbial bad relationship when neither neither person wanted to move out of the apartment and now stuff's happening now here's the, here's the flip side of that my clipper season tickets it's 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 just a it's a flat out debacle i don't know <laughs> who who is who is paying even half price for Clipper season tickets on the secondary market this year? <laughs> the it's a debacle. The hey, SeatGeek is going to look like um like a biotech stock that just got shorted. It's going to be like billions. Buy Charlotte Hornets tickets? Yeah. Anybody? Do you Anyone? Th- would Bobby Axelrod even buy these and short them? Oh my god! What, how funny is it going to be when I'm on our on our Ringer Slack at like three o'clock on a Wednesday asking if anyone wants to go to the Clipper <laughs> game tonight and everyone ignores it. <laughs> Like the text that yeah, you're so, sorry, Bill. I gotta watch. Uh, you know, there's this great British yeah, bake off yeah. going on. It's Working just, on something. Yeah, just sorry, SG got something cooking. Uh, yeah, too bad. Uh, late notice. <laughs> you know, here's the thing, though. If you're Blake Griffin, the move is to stay. Yeah, this is great. Now, now you have your team back. Now you can be like, you know what? This should have been my team all along, and and do that whole thing because I never really thought that. He loved playing with Chris Paul. I always thought it was a little rocky. And now now that, you know, we wrote this really prescient piece by uh, by Sharks yesterday about Blake Griffin's future point forward, basically. The pieces they have now would actually work pretty well toward a point forward kind of lineup with him, right? Beverly plays off the ball. Um, Lou Williams is somebody who can run the offense or play off the ball. And 
Austin Rivers, same thing. Like it, it actually makes more sense to use him as the point forward now without Chris Paul. Yeah. So will they do that? Will he want to stay? Will they have the temerity to offer him a fifth year? Would you do that in a million years with all the surgeries he's had? Would you give him five years? No, and that's and that's something that I think that Kevin's been talking about for a long time is that like this this idea that the, the Clippers necessarily wanted five more years of these guys is, is really obviously now been dispelled. Um, I have you, a question for you. Yeah, hit me. How how many of the players that were involved in the cash consideration trades today had you actually heard of? I definitely think Tim Quarterman is is a is an EA Sports generated name. Tim, Tim Quarterman was in season two of Billions. He teased with Axe in the fourth episode. Him and Dollar Bill at the, at the dry cleaners? <laughs> Tim Quarterman was the guy who blocked Axe from buying the uh, NFL team. <laughs> and then there was a couple other guys. There was some guy that had a lot of vowels in his name. I didn't know who that guy was. Uh, I knew who DeAndre Liggins was. He was on the cast. Yeah. But it was just. It was just funny how many non-guaranteed contract guys were available. And how does that work? Does does Maury like send? Did you say is there like a GM tax? Like how me, you, and Fantasy and Mallory and and Juliet have a tax? Like the, is there thirty GMs just on right. a text? And Maury's <laughs> like, hey, I need non-guaranteed guys. Anybody? Hey, has anybody heard from Phil? He's not responding. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Phil's like, can you take me off this? I don't yeah. have a job anymore. Um, but, all right. So, to recap. Um, I think this is more fun for the Clippers without Chris Paul. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was the Vince Vaughn, Jennifer Aniston movie. <laughs> it was. It was the a breakup. It was pretty excruciating after a while. That watching was the watching them losing the second round to San Antonio next year or whoever would have just been tough. So Blake doing the this is my team now. I'm completely healthy. I'm going to win the MVP. Puffing his chest, little Players Tribune piece. Yeah. That could be kind of fun. Yeah. And then Harden and Chris Paul is just going to be fascinating together with everybody nitpicking every sort of body language, anything. And then, you know, oh, look, watch this video of Chris Paul shaking his head when Harden waves him off. Like, that's going to be happening. That's DeAndre texting Cuban and saying, you up? And Cuban just texting back a picture of Nerlens. Right. <laughs> and whoever Maury's uh, media cronies are, like, texting or tweeting that there's some sort of market for Ryan Anderson that doesn't exist. <laughs> we'll see. Teams. Team's becoming increasingly confident uh, that Ryan Anderson will get moved. Okay, that's not <laughs> happening. And then, uh, and then the Carmelo watch. Yeah. Which, if you're the Knicks, you know you took this French guy because he's going to fit in the triangle, and now you're not going to run the triangle anymore. So now, if you're a Knicks fan, your your biggest fear is moved from Porzingis is going to get traded. I'm going to lose my mind to. Malik Monk could go off in Charlotte, and we took this guy because he's a fit in the triangle, and now we're not running the triangle. I, I mean, think Melo Mel- is, is staying on New York. Yeah. Unless, you know, there's a, there's a D.C. possibility with him if they did an Otto Porter sign-and-trade. Would... Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the the story now is that he wants to stay close to his kid. Obviously, yeah. a lot less staying in New York. The, I just don't think he's going to go to some West Coast team away from his son. So I think he, if the DC thing would be very interesting. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. How many teams can actually win the title? Um, one point five. It's the Warriors and whoever LeBron plays for. I still think the Celtics are going to get Hayward and Paul George, and they're going to be in the conversation. So, sorry, Bill, you're breaking up. You're breaking up, Bill. <laughs> I just that's that's how I feel. You can't you can't shame me. You can't rumor shame me. I'm gonna feel how I want to feel. Okay. I think that's I think that would be where my money is. Hayward, Paul George, 
All I right. bet on that one. We're bet gonna, on black. We're going to talk to Kevin O'Connor now about everything that doesn't have anything to do with Boston. Thank you for joining us, Bill. Send Tate Frazier my love and tell him I can't wait to cough on him on Friday. <laughs> okay, feel better. I am joined by the ringers, Kevin O'Connor, to sort through one of the most chaotic league-changing days in the NBA that we have had since last July 4th when Kevin Durant left the Thunder to go to the Warriors. Guys, today, Chris Paul was traded from the Clippers to the Rockets. Kevin, our head, my head is still spinning because last night ended, your night ended, I'm sure, with these Woj bombs about Phil Jackson and James Dolan reevaluating his rela- the Knicks' relationship with Phil Jackson. And then we wake up, Phil's out. We start getting these trickle of rumors about Hanky, about Masai, about David Griffin, who's going to take over the Knicks, and boom, Chris Paul traded to the Rockets for a haul of okay pieces, a protected number one pick, first round pick, and Kevin, I, I don't mean to like start with some self-dap, but a, a, about 10 days ago, I wrote a piece about this possibly happening, and just like as like a kind of thought experiment, and the one thing that I wrote that you and I have talked about a lot since then is that the Warriors demand a gamble. And this seems like Daryl Morey really pushing his chips in. Absolutely does, Chris. And uh, you just you say it to me all the time: basketball never sleeps. And like I am very thankful that I don't sleep <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. there's not there's not a lot of sleep to be had right now uh, with the craziness in the NBA. And you're right, like that line that you wrote: the the Warriors deserve a gamble. They demand a gamble. I can't get that out of my head when like looking at the decisions some of these teams are making. And that's exactly what Houston's doing right now. I mean. It is a risk. You know, Chris Paul could leave in 2018. I mean, they want to trade for Paul George, who could also leave in 2018. But that's the type of gamble you need to take. And I think what Houston is doing is really remarkable. It's... it's um. I don't know. I don't really know how to imagine how Harden and Paul's going to work. When we when we first talked about this, I thought there could have some issues, but I've thought a lot about it, and I feel like it's going to work. But at the same time, like I, they're not done. It's hard to think what's going. How are they going to work? Because they're not done yet. There's still more to come. That's the wild part here. Right. So there's a there's two separate conversations. Then it's like, how is this going to work, and what else is Maury going to do? I kind of want to jump on the first, the second one first. I want to talk a little bit about what Maury's going to do next, because I think that does inform the first. But I also think it's worth pointing out to folks listening, obviously we've been living in the Maury Ball era for a while. Daryl is kind of the avatar for a lot of the advanced analytics that have taken over many of the front offices of the NBA. In, a, in some ways, he's changed the way we talk about basketball. He's changed the way we think about basketball. The idea of talking about someone's effective field goal percentage or true shooting percentage or you know the idea that mid-range shots are, aren't as valuable as three-pointers and layups and foul shots. All these ideas that we take uh, for granted at this point as just like sort of part and parcel of the game are ideas that maybe Daryl didn't invent these ideas, but he popularized them, right? And one of the reasons why Daryl's so respected and controversial is that he's often one step ahead of the game and I think we're in baseball Billy Bean baseball caught up with him Daryl's showing that he still has a couple of tricks this is like really opaque but can you talk a little bit about what Maury pulled off in terms of working with the cap in terms of pouncing on an opportunity when it was there in terms of doing something unexpected that is taking the league by such surprise today 
All right, so to like put it simply, what happened, right? Like they they could have done a Chris Paul trade by taking him into their cap space, but okay. ha- had they done that, th- what would have happened is they would have lost their mid level exception and their biannual exception. If they lost those, they would have lost the ability to sign some good free agents this summer. However, what they did was trade cash for other low level players on salaries, like uh, Darren Hilliard from from the from the um, Detroit. Like and they got Lake, DeAndre Liggins um, from the like, Mavericks, right? Yes. A handful of guys. And now instead, they're packaging all those salaries together to trade for Paul. And they're going into, they're going over um, over their cap space. So now, because of the way the trade is structured, they retain those exceptions. It's it's, it's just magnificent. Yeah, to, and we're, we're all kind of, I every think. Every single step that happened. We were taken by surprise by the timing of this, but the timing is essential, right? Because if it had gone after July 1st, the trade would have looked a lot different, right? Yes. Okay. So today the hall the hall coming going towards LA, the the the, the package going to LA, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's Decker, Sam Decker, Pat Beverly, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, and a protected first round pick. And then the guys that they are signing for cash considerations, they're going they are also going to the Clippers or they are staying on the Rockets. I believe uh, it's confusing. I believe it's a seven or eight player trade that includes DeAndre Liggins, Tim Quarterman, Ryan Kelly, and Darren Hilliard. I'm pretty sure those are the other four names. And will those guys? Uh, will a, all those guys stay on the Clippers? I'm not. I'm not so sure about that. I'm doubtful that all of them will. Well, here's the question: Who Maybe decides that? Who's some, deciding some of them are that? Quality like players. Yeah, yeah. But who's deciding that in Los Angeles is another whole, huge conversation. Is it Jerry West or Doc Rivers? Yeah, that that's a big question. I, there was a report that Jerry West wasn't at the meeting with Chris Paul, so I don't know what that really says. Right when they because they had a meeting that Woj reported about a couple of days ago or yesterday, where they met about the future, and it sounded like things were. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to read into a Woj tweet. It's not exactly, but it was like it didn't sound like this was an eminent thing that he was going to be dealt. One of the things that has come up today a little bit is about how. The new collective bargaining agreement is largely the work of Chris Paul, right? Like he's the players' union president. This idea of having what is it, the super thirty-six, or what's what's the the wrinkle in the CBA that would have affected him? The 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 he yeah the over thirty-eight oh. now it's the over thirty-six. So he he can sign for about five years, two hundred million plus dollars. Unbelievable. But instead, he opts into his last year with the Clippers and then gets yes. traded, which. Does that feel like pointedly, like almost? Is that good for the Clippers? Like I don't even know how to read that move. It's basically him I would doing. Say the Clippers come out pretty well. Yeah, but it's basically I mean, Paul Patrick being Beverly's like, "I'm a really leaving, good player. Right? Yeah, but he's saying like, "I'm yes. leaving, and you guys should get something for me while you can." Yep. So, it was mutually beneficial because for Houston, like everything we just talked about with their salaries, like they're 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 more flexible now instead of just signing Paul into cap space. Whereas um, at least L.A. for their sake, they get some talent in return. They get a 2018 first round draft pick that's top three protected, and then Patrick Beverly is a hell of a point guard. Right. I mean, he's excellent defensively, and I think he's capable of a little bit, little bit more offensively when he gets the opportunity. So both teams make out here. So if you're the Clippers, why not? Do 
I mean, it was done to the Pacers, but why not basically open the bidding then? If you're, if you if why not see if there's anything else out there, whether it's a Spurs deal? I looked around, like I tried to kick the tires on that on the trade machine, and that was not working out well for me as a Spurs deal for Paul. My, but if, my my guess, my, my guess, Chris is just simply Paul would have opted out. He would have just opted straight out out of the deal if they, if he wasn't traded to Houston. Like he had all the leverage leverage in this uh, in this whole shebang that happened this this morning. If he if the if the Clippers open up trade negotiations to the Milwaukee Bucks, Paul could just opt right out. You know, so like I think that's probably what happened with LA, where they only had one option, one place that they could send him, because otherwise he was going there no matter what. Wow, I mean the thing that's so interesting about this is. For as much as we've been openly talking about whether it's Paul George or Jimmy Butler or who's Boston going to get, is it going to be Hayward, is it going to be this person, the idea that this is not something that Chris Paul thought of yesterday. This is obviously something that he and his representatives have been thinking about for a while, and for that to never have leaked out, for us to only just kind of be this only appearing now, do you think that this is something that he's been sitting on for a while? I mean, is, is this even something you had heard of? I mean, I think there's been some, there's been the noise that he's been looking around and thinking about the Spurs, and then obviously the Rockets came out, and I I know when me and Bill did the podcast, I don't know how long it was, two weeks ago or something like that, we talked about Paul, but it was more through the context of Spurs, more so than Rockets. Uh, I I forget exactly, but I think Bill might have mentioned briefly the idea of the Spurs, but at the same time, like, it was more hypothetical than anything else, and that's that's where this morning was just so stunning. The fact that it happened now, it happened so quickly with just the, so many different players. And as for Paul, I mean, that that's the thing. Like, a lot of people, I oftentimes, like, players will say, oh, I'm just focused on right now, I'm focused on my team. But that's, like, BS. Like, it's only natural for a player to look forward and think about what their future is going to be, especially when they're going to be a free agent. Chris Paul said last year to the USA Today that he talked to KD before his free agency. Is like, this is your chance to, like, right. choose where you want to play, where you want to live, what type of lifestyle you want. And, like, he commended him for the choice that he made so like that kind of I think in a way alluded to the fact that Paul was thinking at that time last year that hey I'm looking forward to my free agency so because I can make my choice and that's exactly what he did even if during the year all these guys admit they're not thinking about it in the back of their minds it's something that they have to consider because it takes planning for this type of stuff to happen so one of the things that Daryl said to Zach Lowe when Zach wrote his post finals piece about how the Warriors were built and what the league is going to do to try and combat them is that the Warriors would uh, demand that you know if, that that the Rockets were prepared to raise quote their risk profile. So they get Chris Paul, arguably one of the best point guards who's ever played. What's the risk? Then he walks. Mm. He walks next summer. That that it blows up. Harden and Paul don't coexist. Uh, Harden can't deal with with Paul's antics on the floor, and they hate each other. And then next summer, Paul walks and goes to the Lakers or something like that. And, and Houston is left without any assets, and they only have James Harden on their roster. I think I think that's the risk. But at the same time, at the same, you're getting one of the best point guards ever, right? So like, I think this is a risk you're willing to take because th- this is what you need to do to arm yourself and give yourself a chance at beating the Warriors. So we watch basketball all the time and we have these conversations and there's this discourse about, oh, Harden can't play defense or Chris Paul seems like a pain in the ass to play with. This is going to be a really interesting test about what we do and don't know. 
because these are guys that played together in the Olympics. They played for Dan Tony, who was an assistant coach during the Olympics. This is obviously another Team USA birth super team that we're seeing. Uh, a lot of people think that uh, the Heatles came out of that, you know, came out of the Olympic team as well. And we have this concept of what these guys play like and what they must be like just based on how much time we spend watching them play. But we're going to find out a lot about whether or not change is possible. You know what I mean? We're going to find out a lot about whether or not these guys are comfortable without the ball, whether or not they're comfortable holding each other accountable, whether Mike D'Antoni can figure out a way for his system to work when there's not a single primary ball handler. But you had a piece today on The Ringer that kind of suggested some of the ways that that could happen. And the biggest thing that you brought up was this idea of staggering minutes, which is something Doc Rivers seemed allergic to. He was very allergic to it. I mean, like probably the most allergic he can be. Well, when I got an allergy test years ago, and I was allergic to, to, to pollen as much as you can be, and that's Doc with with um, staggering minutes. But yeah. the thing is, is Mike D'Antoni's not. He's not afraid to do it. He wasn't last year. You look at the minutes distribution for guys like Patrick Beverly and Eric Gordon. Those guys, when when Harden was off the floor, their usage changed. Gordon between Gordon became a go-to scorer, and Patrick Beverly became the de facto Mori, uh, the de facto D'Antoni point guard, running a heavy load of pick and roll. So look, what's going to happen now is Paul and Harden are going to play a lot together. But at the same time, there's going to be 48 minutes in the game, and at least one of them is going to be on the floor nearly the entire damn game and that is really unheard of um so i think in that sense this has to be a dream for dan tony that he's going to be able to stagger their minutes play these guys individually when when chris paul's off harden can get the same role he had this past season when harden's off paul can do the same exact thing he has always done dominating the ball and it's going to work when they're not off the floor the, the, the thing is it's like obviously when they're together but my, my thing is chris i think they can coexist Harden, Harden has done it before when he played for Oklahoma City. He played off the ball. He was really the, the, the third wheel of the group with Tevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. And he can kind of go back into that role where he's slashing, hitting spot-up threes, you know, attacking closeouts, cutting to the rim. He can do that, and he's done it extremely effectively. That's what made him so enticing to the Rockets as a trade target in the first place. I think Paul will be the main guy in the offense um, when they're both on the floor. But Harden can do it too, and I just think that dynamic is going to be fascinating because instead of just running a single high pick and roll, I think that they can do more off-ball. D'Antoni's going to be able to get creative. I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see what type of wrinkles they unveil with these guys. Do they take away – Chris Paul's a pretty – he likes his mid-range jumper. Is that going to be a thing of the past? <laughs> like, what's, what, is he retiring that? Uh, Are we going to have a retirement ceremony for his mid-range uh, jumper? Yeah. Yeah, I think we might have to have at least a, a semi-retirement ceremony for him because he's not going to be able to shoot it as often. However, Chris, w- what if last year's playoffs, like, you know, this year's playoffs rather, their loss in the playoffs kind of showed maybe the importance of the mid-range in certain situations because there was times like the Spurs were just baiting them into shooting mid-range jumpers. Like the way they were defending them, um, it was like they were asking them to shoot them and they wouldn't. Instead, they would just kick it out to three where the player wasn't, open because they weren't helping off the the shooter so maybe perhaps they will be more willing to allow a guy like Paul who is an elite mid-range shooter to do it in certain situations not early in the clock you're not going to take a pull up two in transition but late in the clock it's not a bad shot necessarily to get that when there's only five seconds left yeah and also I mean I think that your whole point about the staggering of minutes is such an important one because series after series in the playoffs, whether it was the Wizards, the Thunder, and eventually the Cavs, 
and, and the Rockets. We saw these teams completely combust when their main engine was on the bench, even for just a few minutes. And we also saw those engine players, those Walls, those Hardens, those Westbrooks, at the end of games, maybe their decision making wasn't as sharp. Maybe like Wall at the end of that Celtics series, their legs weren't their legs were too heavy. Maybe yeah. like Harden, where it's like, guy, you know, there's all sorts of like like James Harden late series voodoo going on, but he essentially looked tired, right? And he was making <laughs> bad decisions. Maybe so- having someone like Chris Paul out there, whether it's to take some of the burden, change the tempo, have more responsibility on ball handling, take that you know that best perimeter scorer and he def- he's defending them i, I guess the, the next question is obviously these two guys can't beat the warriors on their own and they probably can't do it with eric gordon so what happens next what's daryl's next move here i bet you you would say the ideal acquisition would be paul george how do they do that <sighs> I don't know how they do that. Uh, I'll tell you that, Chris. I, I'm very confused um, with the Paul George plan because I think I think the only way they get him is if another team, and you know, sorry to have to mention the Celtics, but it's, it's if the Celtics say the price is too high without a guarantee that George will, well, not even a guarantee, but at least a sense that George would resign the following year. So it's if the Celtics lower their, their, what they will give, then that opens the door for Houston to give that same type of mix of veteran talent um, with picks uh, but at the same time like I still wonder like if I'm Indiana is that enough I I still feel like there has to be something better out there because you look at what Houston the best they can potentially offer um, they already dealt Patrick Beverly who I thought there was was their best asset in a deal for George but maybe instead you put Eric Gordon on the table maybe put maybe flip Ryan Anderson um, I, I don't know there's multiple ways to attack this but Does, they don't have the depth of assets that they did before after dealing Patrick Beverly. Do, do, if you're Indiana, does Capella sweeten it all, or is Capella too like Miles Turner? I, I'd want to hang on to Capella if I'm Houston. But uh, I think Capella would certainly be a sweetener if Houston's willing to put him on the table. I mean, at a certain but point, I, I have, he's going to have to actually pay yeah. a nickel instead of five pennies for something. So, it, I, mean, Gor- I mean, Gordon going back to Indiana is nice enough. He just won the sixth man. I guess he would have like a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of looks in Indiana yeah. and everything, but I mean, if, you, if I'm not picking up the phone yeah, unless it's, Clint Capella is part it, of that deal. Yeah, C- Capella is a guy, one of the guys that I would really kind of demand in a deal. I, I think Capella really I don't know if he'd be the perfect fit next to Miles Turner but at the same time Turner can space for you and Capella is an excellent rim runner um, both one, both of those guys still need to make strides defensively but they're quite good at, for a young age so I think that would be a terrific front court for Indiana but at the same time like like I said if I'm Houston he's the guy I'd really want to hang on to because I think he really completes that starting five Mike D'Antoni when I interviewed him last year for the Rockets article we posted on the ringer uh, he mentioned like the five is really the glue, the most important part of their offense, just the rim runner yeah. and that offense sucking in the defense um, that for, that allow opens um, driving lanes for the ball handler, that opens up passing lanes to open spot up shooters. The, that That is a really important role. You look at all the big rim runners he's had from Ari Stoudemire to Tyson Chandler now to Clint Capella. It's important. And Capella is really the only guy left in the roster who can do that, just be a lob threat at the level that they have. Okay, so I don't even now I don't even know what's less likely. Them getting Paul George with a package that doesn't include Capella, or Mello reuniting with Il Bafo. Come on, <laughs> can we get the Mike and Mello show oh going again? Goodness. So that is another thing that came up is Stephen A. Oh God, God bless him. 
coming through with the if Melo is bought out in New York, Houston is a possible destination. I don't know if we are we forgetting the Mike D'Antoni administration in the New New York. I don't know, but. <laughs> Uh, I'm I would sure love, Mike would love to forget it. <laughs> well, you know what? This is another thing about what we know and what we don't know. I, I have no idea. Maybe Mello and D'Antoni broke bread and they're cool. Like I, like maybe Mello is like that. Sounds great. I become basically like pure offense in this like, you know, crystal meth Houston offense. That's great. Like maybe he's into that. <laughs> he's been playing in this stodgy bad version of the triangle for the last couple of seasons. Maybe he would want to be in this like super like modern set even and maybe he could get over whatever issues he had with D'Antoni in the past yeah I mean it's just kind of funny when you think about it because just like one year ago I believe it was on Adrian Wojnarowski's podcast that D'Antoni essentially admitted that Mello forced him out and that's why he's quit um so it'd, yeah it'd but be kind Mike of got his coach of the one, year one it's year all good <laughs> yeah yeah, exactly, exactly. But here's the thing, though. Like, if you're the Rockets and if you're Carmelo and you're D'Antoni, you're thinking to yourself, like, huh, if we can get Carmelo with Chris Paul and if Dwayne Wade gets bought out or he's a free agent next year, we have 75% of Banana Boat. That's what I'd be thinking about. I'd be thinking, oh, wait a minute. We're one trade away from creating space for LeBron. I also That's think the way I would be thinking that about when they, those guys. When they get Melo and when D'Antoni inevitably gets fired at the All-Star break, that is the 19th <laughs> episode of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Is just a 60-minute oh, Zoom goodness. shot on Mike D'Antoni's face when he finds out. <laughs> Who are some other options for Houston here? There's there's the George idea. There's the Melo idea. There's the Wade dream of, of almost all of Banana a boat minus LeBron joining Houston save some sort of massive move like that are we talking about mid-level exception guys are we talking about a Millsap run like what what are we talking about here yeah I would say Millsap has to be the other guy. Uh, you just look around the league. Um, maybe Millsap, uh, you could always say maybe they try to make space and make a surprise run at Gordon Hayward. Uh, they would really need to open up cap. I don't. I don't know their exact the exact numbers for that, but I believe it would be a possibility. Okay. Um, if they. But I'm not, but they would have to renounce all their exceptions. They would have to trade Gordon and Anderson, and they would have to fly down below cap space again. Um, but it, so I don't think that's a path. Uh, I don't think that's a realistic path. But I'm just saying, like anything's possible, right? We we've seen a lot of madness happening in the in this um, free. It's not even free agency yet. Not even July one yet, Chris. A okay. lot of madness has already happened. But so they have options. Millsap seems to be the most realistic, though. We got we know it's we know what's going on with the Rockets, except that we don't know what's going on with the Rockets. Before we get to the Clippers. Let's talk about what Chris, some of Chris Paul's other suitors, and what some of the other teams around the Rockets, kind of competitive-wise, not necessarily geographically, but competition-wise, what this does to their thinking. You wrote a piece that, God love you, was almost instantly irrelevant once it went up this morning about the San Antonio Spurs and their <laughs> possible pursuit of Chris Paul. So that's not going to happen, um, and they couldn't have made a better offer to the Clippers unless they wanted to include unless the Clippers just decided that they wanted to trade for LaMarcus Aldridge which would have just been really weird um so what does this mean for the Spurs what does this mean for some of the other teams around the Clippers in that three four five Western Conference area 
So I think for the Spurs, uh, obviously, like the first like 700 words of that article are, are totally irrelevant now. So just <laughs> scroll down to the last section yeah. where I don't talk about Chris Paul and I s- instead say, hey, why don't they just dump everybody, trade Tony Parker, trade LaMarcus Aldridge and make a run at Blake and right. Gordon Hayward. That That's kind of the other plan. <laughs> so like if I'm the Spurs, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking really big here. Um, I would love to see Blake Griffin in the Spurs offense. Charks wrote a gro- great piece yesterday. I'm about giving Blake more ball Point handling Blake. opportunities. Yeah, that's something that, you know, that was my first article on The Ringer, just about does Blake have another gear? And I think he does. I would love to see him in an offense that, or like a motion offense where the ball moves and he has more point opportunities. So that would be kind of the plan for the Spurs. But other than that, man, you know, what do you what do you think? Like George Hill, is that a guy you settle for to kind of bridge the gap between the, your this, your present and then your future with DeJounte Murray and Derek White? I, I, I don't know. Like there's no other really top options. That's where I, I'm like, why are we not talking about Hayward and Blake Griffin? Yeah, I think that you just have to wait and see if you can get someone to get desperate for LaMarcus. Uh, especially if Cleveland, because of their front office turmoil, doesn't wind up getting George. They have love. So there's not really a four who's like a traditional four. I, I'm, I'm really just trying to talk myself into this. I don't even believe it. But really, like I think trading LaMarcus is their best bet. As far as like the teams around them, you know, I, I was wondering whether you thought that this move that Chris did, this I'm going to opt in for my last year and demand a trade, basically, to the team of my choice, is that something that we might see elsewhere in the league? Or is there any other guy who is an opt-in situation that you could see them being like, I'm going to opt in for a sign-and-trade? I mean, could Gordon's unrestricted, right? Yes. Okay, so he can't. Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hay- Gordon Hayward. You mean? Yeah. Gordon Hayward. Yeah. Gordon Hayward currently hasn't opted out officially yet. Okay. So he still has his player option, and he hasn't officially opted out. So theoretically, he could opt in and do the same exact thing that Chris Paul. He could did. go. But hey, I'm opting in. By the time in, we post this, it's pop. Yeah. Trade me to Boston. Right. Okay. And and Utah might say yes, like, awesome. Possible. Let's do that. Theoretically possible. Yes. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about the Clippers. Uh, we all, you know, we came out of that playoffs. The this is the pre-Jerry West era. We come out of the postseason, another Clippers failure, and the noises coming out of Doc's mouth, against all odds, are, you know, <laughs> you don't break up a good team. I believe in these guys. Couple tweaks, yada yada. We're gonna go for it again. I want to bring everybody back. But the drumbeat of breaking up the big three has gotten louder and louder and louder. There was rumors of DeAndre Jordan being dangled on draft night. I would love to see the sliding doors version of this week if DeAndre had moved on draft night and they had brought some people back. I wonder what would have happened. There are some absolutely A-plus, just right off the Benihana flat top rumors about why Chris Paul is leaving the Clippers. Uh, in, involving Austin Rivers, there are just some incredible like gossip stories out there. <laughs> I don't know why Chris is actually leaving. It might just be a change of scenery. It might just be that you know he decided that playing with James Harden was a better bet than playing with Blake Griffin. Maybe he's like, I just need to get a new start. I need one last act in my career here, and I can't just go through my whole life in LA wondering what would have been. But what happens now for the Clippers? If if w- are we going to do a podcast next week? And we'll be talking about the end of the Blake era, or are we talking about the Clippers are now building through Blake Griffin? 
it's a tough question. I think I think Reddick leaves. Um, so if you're if you're Blake Griffin, you're looking at that situation and you're thinking a couple thoughts to yourself. You're thinking, okay, I can be the guy now. Um, I'm the guy in LA. I'm going to be featured. I'm going to have the opportunity to really just control the offense. I'm going to get to be Point Blake. I'm going to be the power guard. And so that's that's one enticing option for him. Um, but on the other hand, you're thinking to yourself. Well, this is a team that's kind of in transition. Um, I don't know what their future looks like. Uh, they could suddenly decide to pull the plug at any moment and trade me. They're not a team that's necessarily going to continue doing this because it might not work out. So if you're Blake, I would have that fear. I would be nervous about the fact that they, they could pull the plug on this at any moment's notice and trade me trade me to Milwaukee or somewhere where I don't want to play. Indiana, you know, maybe he does want to go there. I don't know. But at the same time, you want to control your destiny if you're Blake Griffin. So that those are really the two sides that I would be thinking about if I were Blake. Whereas there could be other options. There could be Boston. There could be at my Miami. I mentioned San Antonio. I have no idea if they have interest. I think they should. But those are appealing places too. Sure, you uh, uh, you might not get the five year max from L A. But I'll tell you what, I'm not sure they're going to give that to him anyway. Right, right. Like the sense I've gotten from every agent, every executive I've talked to is that people don't think the Clippers are going to give Blake a five year max contract. So unless on, that's on the table, the advantage L A. has isn't significant. So that's where I'm thinking to myself, like, sure, they might want to make him the focus and bring him back. But are they going to go to five years and really give themselves that advantage? I don't know. I don't I don't think they will. Yeah. Do they want Blake they as, the, as the do they need Blake in L.A. to put him on uh, big billboards outside of of the next stadium that they move into the next arena <laughs> that they move into? Yeah. Or do they want to yeah. get start getting ready for the next wave of Clippers players? I, what I can't get over is the fact that you look in Los Angeles and in New York and Cleveland, three of the biggest teams in the league right now, in terms of either reputation, history, or actual standing in the game. And we don't know who's running those teams. We don't know who's calling the shots. We don't know if it's Doc or West or Balmer in L.A. Who There is no head of... Steve Mills is ostensibly making decisions, in, basketball decisions in New York right now. And in Cleveland, Griff's out, and Chauncey hasn't taken the job yet. So you've got a bunch of really important pieces in this league with unknown futures because nobody knows who's making the phone calls or picking them up. And I can't remember a time that's been like this. It's unbelievable. It's it's like I tweeted earlier today about how it's it's amazing how much of a difference having a good general manager can do for your franchise. Like you look at Phil Jackson last week is shopping one of the best young players we have in this game. Meanwhile, Daryl Morey is attempting to put together a super team, going for Chris Paul, putting this crazy wild package together to get it done. He's also interested in Paul George and whoever else. Like me, like the, the disparity is so significant. And then we have Dan Gilbert firing one of the best general manager or letting go of one of the best general managers in the game and Dave Griffin. It's just amazing what front office and ownership, the impact that they have on winning. Um, it all trickles down from the top. And there are some ownerships across this league that are terrific. There are others like the Bulls that trade away valuable second round picks for cash. Uh, and it's disappointing for fan bases that are stuck with bad owners and bad front offices. And here's one thing that I'm, I think brings us back to the beginning of our conversation. And then we can move on to whatever Nick's intrigue we can drum up. But when we go back to the beginning of the conversation, this idea of, of the Warriors demanding a gamble, I kind of feel like what we're seeing is different interpretations of that idea because a lot of these owners, some of them I think are just happy to have a toy 
don't need the hassle of anything else. And some of them are old school or whatever. But a lot of these guys, like Bomber's competitive. You know what I mean? Like these guys are pretty successful. Yeah. And if you go to them, they're, you're like, look, man, I'm going to put on a good face when I go to this press conference, but nobody's beating the Warriors for the next five years, at least. <laughs> they might not want to hear that, you know? And I don't, I don't think that's what happened with Griffin. I think Griffin was just, Dan Gilbert does not like paying his front off executives until he does, and then he doesn't. I mean, it's just, that's that seems to be what happened there. But I have to wonder whether or not Jerry West's advice to Balmer, as someone who's coming from the Golden State organization, is like, yo, man, you're not going to beat these guys. You didn't beat these guys 10 times in a row. You've lost to them with your best team. So if you think that you're going to go out there and beat them with just Blake, you're not. And maybe start getting some kids in here. Maybe start like loosening up some cap space. Put yourself in a position where, you know, I do I think that LeBron's going to go to the Clippers in a year? No. But you, you want to be... A Los Angeles team with cap space is always going to be attractive, you know, to some players. And I, I think that, you know, if the Clippers come into next season with Kyle Lowry and Blake Griffin, are they are they making the playoffs? Sure, I think so, right? But the question is, is like, are the Clippers trying to mount a challenge to the Warriors, or are they? I think Danny said this in his piece today, Danny Chow. Are they basically going to wait it out in a bunker while this arms race is taking place? What would you say? I, I think it's the latter. They're they're waiting it out. Um, I think Jerry West. It, what what happened right away on draft night was them trading cash for Jawan Evans and Sedarius Thornwell. That's something Doc Rivers would never do. Um, that move to me, uh, I wrote on the Ringer this week, is that it had Jerry West's fingerprints like all over it, and and that's the way this Chris Paul decision kind of seems to me too. I wonder um, if. They, if Jerry West didn't want to give Chris Paul the five-year max too, because then you'd be paying Chris Paul at 37 years old, full max contract. That has a strong element of risk that, as you said, Chris, may not get you anywhere because you're just banging your head against the door, running back the same team that hasn't worked. So in that sense, I think Jerry West probably has had an influence on their decision-making so far with the picks, trading for the picks, and letting go of Chris Paul, or rather trading Chris Paul. So look, I think... I think it's smart in the sense that Doc Rivers, in my opinion, just screwed up this whole last four years. He should have traded Blake when he had a good opportunity last year, last summer, or last year at the deadline. Because there was an opportunity to, I believe, just reshuffle the deck and get some get more defensive-oriented talent um, that I think would have fit the roster construct more. And you possibly could have opened up some cap space, too, so you wouldn't be signing old veteran players um, that, that you would have to rely on. So I think Doc... Um, Having Jerry West there is going to help them a lot, uh, but at the same time, like they certainly are taking a step back these next couple of years because I don't I don't see a path that makes sense for them to compete for a title. The only path at this point that really makes sense is just take a step back, draft and develop, and maybe retain DeAndre Jordan or retain Blake Griffin, retain some centerpiece for the team. But at the same time, you need to be thinking three years down the road yeah, right. and not immediately in the 2017-18 season. Yeah, you've been pre this for a while on the site and sometimes I'm like I don't under that's not really what you talk about when you're like people need to be getting ready for Anthony Davis you know like that's that's the that's the next mile marker the the league is more or less decided if the if the Warriors can avoid catastrophic injuries you're not going to compete with them unless you have LeBron or 
some miraculous combination of talent. But I think that's difficult for a lot of people to accept. I think it's difficult for fans to accept. I think it's difficult for a lot for for some players to accept. And I would imagine it's difficult for front offices and coaches to accept. You talk about what Doc's done over those last four years. One of the juiciest tidbits in Michael Eaves, who's an ESPN guy, wrote on his Facebook page. This is not necessarily like, you know, triple sourced Washington Post stuff, but it is like there. He talked about a lot about Chris Paul's lack of of love for Austin Rivers. But he mentions in passing that um, what this is a quote from his page. What solidified Paul's dissatisfaction with Doc was a proposed trade involving Carmelo Anthony last season. New York offered Carmelo and Sasha Vujicic to the Clippers in exchange for Jamal Crawford, Paul Pierce, and Austin Rivers, a deal to which Rivers ultimately said no. That event led Paul to feel that keeping his son on the roster was more important to Doc than improving the team. I don't know if that's true. It's hard to view it as false, but I don't know if it's true. Does, when you have you heard that before? Um, I I believe every word of it. <laughs> okay, yeah, that is going to be a, a because it makes it it makes sense. It just makes sense, and also like you hear some things just about how you know how that stuff guys goes. don't really love Austin Rivers, and and, and yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. So I I believe it. I believe it. So we could have had a New York Knicks team with. Austin Rivers. Now we have a New York Knicks team without Austin Rivers <laughs> and without Phil Jackson. So to to wrap things up here, let's just talk a little bit about the Knicks. Best guess, how long is it going to take to undo the damage that Phil Jackson has done to this team over the last year or two? Well, first they have to hire a GM. <laughs> right. That that's the first order of business for them. Um, look, man, like some of those some of those bad deals, Joakim Noah. How are you going to dump that? How how are you going to get rid of that I, deal? I, I mean, I, I just wanted to three, let you know, years? I was willing to make some Sixers cap space available for Jodo if Porzingis is part of the trade. You know, Jaleel Okafor, as the guys <laughs> from Right Ricky Sanchez love to say, automatic twenty and ten. <laughs> they're not lying either like it's the truth um <laughs> they're not lying at all <laughs> no i don't know how you get rid of noah i don't know you have to go whoever the next front office is they're gonna have to spend some time with chris Dobbs and his brother apparently they got to figure out the carmelo thing frankie smokes apparently uh frank's Til- frank Tilakina came off the practice court today walking gingerly which is always what you want to hear about your rookie shout out to tate i know malik monk also hurt his ankle right yeah so I don't know. I mean, is this job and working for James Dolan attractive enough to lure Masai away from Toronto or Sam Hinkie out of Palo Alto? I think it's a little bit appealing in the sense that if Dolan gives the new GM the same freedom that he gave Phil Jackson – then it's appealing because that's what you want as a general manager. You want your, you don't want your owner telling you no on certain deals that you know damn well are going to work out for your team. Like that's what Sixers ownership provided Sam Hinkie in the early in the early days of the process. They allowed him to go through with the tanking plan, accumulating assets, and it worked. They just ran out of patience at the end, and the NBA ran out of patience. So look, if the Knicks, whoever they hire, whoever they bring in. If Dolan gives them some room to do what they want to do to really just go through with their plan, then great. That's an appealing job. It's one of the biggest markets in the world. Um, so th- it obviously has appeal. And then you have a 21-year-old 
seven foot three stud and Chris Adams Porzingis. You have a young, talented point guard and Frankie Smokes. There's some good stuff happening there. The problem is the the Noah contract, even the Courtney Lee deal. Yeah, um, you still have the Carmelo problem hanging over the hanging over the, their franchise. So I think there's some problems there, but I still think it's an appealing job. Well, I you know I know Ramona tweeted that Ramona Shelburne tweeted that there are some big name college coaches always sh- already showing interest in that job, and I, I I know many Nick fans would welcome Rick Pitino back with open arms to the Garden. <laughs> give me give me some Coach Cal. I would York. love a little Coach Cal. If That'd anybody could repair the damage with Kristaps, it would be Coach. It would be Cal, man. Come on. Um, okay, Kevin. I don't. I this this podcast is 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 subject to change because you know the NBA is going through a revolution. Not only in the way these teams are changing, but the way this information is coming out at such a fast and furious pace. So I'm sure we'll be speaking to you again in some form or another. You can find Kevin's writing on the Ringer. He wrote about the Rockets and how Chris Paul and James Harden might work together today. Uh, we are covering. Everything about NBA free agency that can possibly covered. So come back early and often. Kevin, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Chris. Hopefully we get some more big trades. Later, man. And finally, the prince who was promised. <laughs> Jason Concepcion. Yeah, I appreciate that uh, that reference. I know what that is. I recognize that. Yeah, it's it's a Breaking Bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jason's here to talk about Phil Jackson. Philly. Um, Phil. You called him a special kind of stupid. The worst kind of stupid. On yeah, the I mean, today. you know, Phil is a well-read guy. He's studied different cultures. He's uh, uh, been influenced by Eastern philosophies and Western literature. And he's really... The course that he set for himself uh, is one that he has taken after much consideration and reasoning and it is bad <laughs> objectively and there and no one will be able to talk him out of it he wants to he wants to foist the triangle upon players who don't want to play it and he will not listen to reason and this had to happen yeah it turns out all you needed was one e minor chord from the JD and the straight shot. <laughs> yeah, I, 100%. I mean, there was some... like. Is this we were, the most you've ever liked James Dolan? No, I mean, like, listen, this is just like... This is a momentary sugar high in the long life of being a Knicks fan. And I know that within hours, within days, Dolan will do something bad now that he's been stirred from his, uh, you know fucking blues tour (laughs) i really think that this was you know like phil would still be with us if not for the fact that charlotte wilder of sb nation went to his uh freaking gig and reported on it like that's he's like phil Phil, they came to my gig so he's phil's gig now he feels harassed yeah i think i really because like it was not that long ago that that dolan was like oh yeah we're honoring we're honoring the deal i made a deal with this guy five years that's it. And he was like really trumpeting how he was staying out hey, of the basketball stuff. I you ask Phil about it. Yeah, I think and I think he really enjoyed the fact that Phil not only had the reputation that he um that he once did, that he still does. I think, you know, Phil's reputation I think will survive after this fades out. But uh, I think he really appreciated the fact that Phil was the kind of guy who could just take all the slings and arrows and then Dolan could be like, "Hey, man, I'm just like playing the blues. This is not doesn't have anything to do with me." 
And this is a song I wrote about Trayvon Martin. One, two, three. So there is a Woj report, yeah. and in the top of that piece is this idea of fitness. And it's not like necessarily that, uh, clear about like, right. but there were reports that Phil was like falling asleep. And He's a seventy-one-year-old man. First yeah, of all, for sure. I I think that questions about his quote-unquote fitness, which is an extremely like loaded word, which I think we all know what it means when a person is seventy and is like taken by their own, you know, at their own. They've admitted to taking like hallucinogenic drugs for <laughs> how x amount of years over their life. Uh, and have apparently lost their fastball in a way that is concerning. I think it's like, you know, that's a term that uh, is loaded in a very weird way. Just like shunting that aside, you can just look at what he's done. Yeah. And he can't, he's bad. Leaving aside whether he's quote unquote fit for the job, he can't do the job. Whatever the underlying factors are, he's just not good. He's so, not good. I'm going to give you a series of scenarios that I just want you to give me a one out of 10. 10 being I'm moving back to New York, one being like, what's New York? <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, Steve Mills just runs his team for the foreseeable future. It's a five. I mean, like, like you know, Mills has said things that. In the in the media that I have broadly found to be amenable to modern basketball, I, you know, I, like I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if Mills was bad, and I would be pleasantly surprised if Mills was pretty good slash a cautious uh, GM. Okay, Masai, I would love that. That would be great, especially because Mark Berman of the Post um, wrote that now famous tweet amongst uh, Knicks Nation. Uh, take that Maasai in reference to something Andrea Bargnani did that was good that now I can't even, he had like 11 points on like three for 11 one time. David Griffin. That would be awesome. And the thing about David Griffin is he's shown that uh, he can deal with a chaotic situation. He can deal with a chaotic situation. He can deal with an owner that's overbearing and he can make moves in a constrained atmosphere um, that involves a lot of money and uh, and timing and moving, shunting around of contracts, which is uh, historically the kind of position that the Knicks have found themselves in again and again. So yeah, that would be freaking awesome if it was David Griffin. That would be my preference. Sam Hinkie. I would also love Sam, but here's the thing about Sam. Sam is like a 10, as is David Griffin. Sam is like at a 15, just because of the fireworks. Sam is like, you'll become an MTA conductor? Yeah, and like, yeah, and as the train is burning, I'll just be screaming like, <laughs> The thing about Sam Hinkie is, it is unclear whether Adam Silver will ever let this guy have a job in the league again. Like I mean, you know. Oh no way! He's got his stock is high now. I I just feel like, sure, I just feel like there would have to be some kind of like unspoken arrangement where. Uh, I don't think that his process, the way that he did things in Philly, would not work in, in New York. Yeah, there's no, like, you can't survive two tabloids. You went losing like the that. NBA would not allow. What it's the team in its largest market to actively tank for multiple seasons no. in a way that is absolutely shameless. Right. You can't not have Thanksgiving game days. They can't. They Christmas, would, day, Christmas Day It games. would not be allowed to happen. So how would it work? I mean, I think Hinky. I would love to see Hinky there just because, you know, I would love to see it. Okay. I guess the question is now, 
Do you think Melo's playing for the Knicks like next year? No, I don't think so. You think he, it, you know the ultimate? Bill Mello, seems convinced that there's no reason to offer him a buyout. The, that, they know? shouldn't offer him a buyout because that's just dumb. They, but like the ultimate Melo swagger move would be to like now come to the Knicks and be like, either say I waive my no trade, I waive my no trade, <laughs> 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 or be like, hey, I'm ready to play. Uh, that I'm, would be the ultimate. There, uh, there will be blood bowling ball drop. Right, or like, or or come to them and be like, "Hey, I'm ready to uh, play the four now, and I'll stand on the perimeter, and let's just put the ball in Porzingis's hands." Yeah, you know, like Mellow's. This is Mellow's championship. Yeah. Like dunking on Phil. Yeah, dunking on Phil and Lala calling off the separation is like Mellow winning back to back titles. <laughs> I'm proud of him. He's like a folk hero now. Yeah, he's a New York hero. Yeah. All right, like Lou Reed before him. Um, <laughs> let's end it there. Yeah. Jason, thanks for joining us. Thank you. That's the Ringer NBA show. We had a nutty day. We'll we'll be yeah. back soon.